A trusted voice of truth and light. The narratives that mislead most of us aren't outright lies. They're the deliberate omission of facts that could give us a more complete picture. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. The world needs your leadership. And the essence of leadership is using your influence wisely wherever you happen to be standing. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, I promised you this was going to be a great hour, and we're going to kick it off. Uh, the first half hour, I have Kurt Mercadante joining me. And Kurt, welcome to the show. Brian, it is a pleasure to be here. I've been sitting here mulling over, okay, how can I introduce this guy? Because every everywhere I look, I, I just started to encounter your content online here uh, within the last few weeks. But Kurt, you are an author, you're a trainer, you are a person who helps people make the most of their influence and their, their purpose and I'm just trying to think, I don't know how to wrap that up into one package and say, and so this is who he is and what he does. Would it be imposing if I were to ask you to tell us who you are and what it is that makes you tick? Yeah, well, first and foremost, I'm a husband and I'm a father. If there was one word that made me tick, it'd be the word freedom. And, um, you know, I host a, the Freedom Mindset Radio podcast. My book was The Five Pillars of the Freedom Lifestyle, and it's about living a life that you actually desire, that you give yourself permission to live without obviously hurting other people, right? Non-aggression. And, but a lot of people fall short of that. Now, in terms of what I get paid to do, I help entrepreneurs and business owners increase their authority brand exposure to the right clients so they can generate more revenue. And, you know, my book was a lot, and I have people reaching out all the time that they, they broke free to their freedom lifestyle. But they're like, what do I do now? Like, thanks for pushing me off the cliff. What do I do now? So I help them build their freedom business and build their brand, branding and sales. But as you see, I do a lot of things. And, and you know, uh, I try to, I think our greatest resource is our ability to think creatively and critically. And so any way I can contribute to that in the world, uh, I take advantage of it. Well, your message of freedom is one that resonates very well with me, and 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 I, you know, we're kindred spirits in that in that regard. Something else, though, and this is what made me want to pick your brain on the show today, is all around me I see people who are struggling, and it's because the somebody turned up the difficulty level to eleven on life. I don't know why they did it, but here we are, and it feels like everything is spinning out of control. But the people I see who seem to have it. Uh, that they have some direction to go or the people who've discovered purpose or who are focused on influence more so than just simply bemoaning what's happening around them. Talk to me about, uh, about influence and, and where, where do you approach influence from? Yeah, I think a lot of people, you know, that word influence, some, some might go to the, you know, the, oh, we're in the influencer economy, you know, and you think of someone like Kylie Jenner taking selfies and getting paid to promote wristwatches or, or whatever, right? Or other people think of influence as like iron fist and I push you into doing something you wouldn't normally do. But real influence comes when you make a positive impact on the people around you. And influence really should be more about inspiring people and becoming a, an example for them. And so you attract them to you rather than saying, I'm influential, I'm going to force you to do something you wouldn't normally want to do. And I, I think that's a, a huge difference. Um, and how do you build influence? You know, if you're a business owner, if you work for a business, if you're a human, right? I assume if you're listening to the show, you are, you 
are here to make an impact on the world. I don't think anyone is here just to take up space. And you can make an impact on the world by improving the lives of others. And by the way, that in a true free market, if we ever have a true free market, that's how you earn revenue. That's how you make money. You create value and people give you value in return and you create value by, I don't care if you're selling golf balls or high-end coaching, you're improving the life of someone else. And if, if you think you're in the business of doing anything other than that, then you're in the wrong business. Okay. Let me ask you what, to, what tipped you in the direction that, uh, that your life is, is taking you. Um, what was it that lit your fire? I had always, since high school, wanted to work in politics, and I thought saving the world was about po- was getting involved in politics, and I went that route, and I worked on a number of political campaigns, Tier 1, worked on Capitol Hill. Uh, I ended up working at, uh, for one of the largest trade associations in D.C., running state campaigns around the country, and what I realized was that politics isn't about saving the world. It's about saving the politicians um, or some interest groups, right? And I had become the wrong side of Atlas Shrugged. You know, I'd become Wesley, the, uh, the, the lobbyist, and, and, and pushing for things in that regard. And so I built a seven-figure PR and ad agency in doing public affairs. And three years ago, I woke up one morning, and I shut it down at peak revenue. I, I pissed – I got rid of – sorry, I kicked seven figures away and, uh, and overnight because I realized I wasn't living the life I wanted to live. I felt like I had built a prison instead of a business, and I started from scratch – I wanted to help entrepreneurs and people realize their sense of freedom by building the business that gives them the freedom to live the life they want to live with the people they want to live them with. You know, I, with. <laughs> I, I love to I love to hear you speak the language of impact because uh, for a long time I've I've been doing radio for 35 years. And part of the reason I picked it was because it didn't seem to involve any real work. At least <laughs> that was the initial justification. <laughs> what? You know, Howard Stern, you know, and uh, Casey Kasem. Uh, but. I found that uh, there was a time that I went through where I measured uh, how am I doing by how how are the numbers on my paycheck? What's my pay stub look like? What's my title? And all of that stuff fell aside when I was introduced to the idea that, no, no, you want to measure your success in terms of what kind of impact are you having? I love that when I asked you to talk about what makes you tick, you said father and husband were at the top of that list. And and. Yeah. Now I measure my success by how much time do I get to spend with my kids or with my grandkids as opposed to, you know, counting the dollars in my bank, which, by the way, choosing radio, you don't get to count a whole lot of you get more exercise (laughs) than anything out of that. (laughs) Yeah, you know, um, and when you go back to, you know, this this crazy time we're in right now and. You know, a lot of people are, there's two types of people. There's the thumb suckers. They're in the corner sucking their thumb saying, woe is me. The world is happening to me. And then there's people who realize, listen, I'm putting myself on my timeline by the choices I make now. And one of the ways you separate yourself into the latter versus the former is, first of all, you focus on what you can control instead of worrying about the things you can't. You know, I can't control what Trump's going to do. I can't control what Biden's going to do. I can't control what my governor's going to do. Now you could say, well, you can get out and protest. You can do all this. Sure. Right. Got it. But I can control what kind of father I am, what kind of husband I am. You know, when this all started happening, I lost about twenty, twenty-five thousand dollars over a three-day period because in keynotes, I, I would go around the country and give keynotes. So I was mad for about eight hours. And then I went back and went back to my process in getting clients, in recovering the lost revenue. But if you, you know, and I was like this for years, if your sense of meaning in life is attached to stuff, is attached to things. And, you know, 
as a freedom loving person and I I'm libertarian money is fine. I don't think money is the root of all evil obsession with money. The love of money is the root of all evil because when you attach meaning to things, guess what happens when there's a quote unquote pandemic people take your stuff away. And if people can take your stuff away, they can take your meaning away. And you got to get to that point where your meaning is so deep in the people and the experiences around you and what you can control that you could take away my car, you could take away my house, you could take away my bank account, and I still have meaning in my life. And that's where a lot of people are realizing, why do I feel like I'm in the abyss? It's because you've attached your meaning to stuff. And by the way, that's not saying stuff is bad, but why do you have that stuff? That's the key. No, that's. I think that's an amazingly powerful uh, observation to make, and 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 I've seen people who are very stuff centered, and and you know they they seem to fall prey to that to that need for more. No matter how much they have, if stuff is what life is all about, then you know this. Whoever dies with the most toys wins. Now contrast that with the people who are focused on um, whatever whatever their gifts, their talents, their passions, you know, their abilities are. The ones who are focused on using those to make the world a better place, hands down, always seem to be the happiest, most well-adjusted people. Why is that? I, I think I think one reason is it's it's the difference between an abundance mindset and a scarcity mindset. An abundance mindset says, "Listen, um, well, I'll, let me start with the scarcity mindset. A scarcity mindset looks at the world and sees it as a." there's a pie with three slices and it doesn't get any bigger and we can't bake any more pies. So Brian, if you do well in life, you've eaten one of my slices and I'm never getting it back. So you know what? (laughs) I'm going to lobby to take away Brian's slice. An abundance mindset says, you know what? All right, great. You got a slice. You're looking happy. I love it. Good for you. I'm going to bake my own pie. I'm going to bake three pies. The pie is going to get bigger. And that's the way it's happened. When you, when you get down to it, our ability to create things, Right. Our business, our, I'm looking at you right now on the screen. You have a chair, you have a bookcase, you have a, all those things. Our businesses are started out as thoughts turned into ideas. Things are the manifestations of those ideas, which goes back to your creative flow. There's no reason humans should be here right now. I mean, when we first came about the beasts that were on the earth, the environment, we should have been dead as soon as we got out of the caves, but we have the ability to be creative and think our way to do things. Okay, we've got to take a very quick break. Kurt Mercadante is my guest. You can see why I was excited to get him on the show today. We will come back just the other side of these messages. Thanks again for joining us. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Our program is brought to you by Firesteel.com, as well as the Staples Turner team at uh, Patriot Home Mortgage. By the way, I've been uh, working out a uh, refinance on my home with uh, John Staples. I'm going to tell you more about that later in the hour. Uh, that guy will go the extra mile. And you need to know what a great guy he is. Speaking of great guys, Kurt Mercadante is my guest, and I would encourage you. I'm going to throw in a link to your uh, to your webpage, Kurt, in the show notes. My listeners can find those at thebrianhideshow.com. But I love that you have a positive message because this, uh, you know, I'm not trying to put a 
dark cloud over everything. This has been one of the hardest years to stay positive the, that I can remember within within my lifetime. Yeah, and you know, I think there's a difference between abundance again and positivity. Um, I have my moments. There's times when I'm sitting there and I'll be watching a movie and they'll be in a they'll be uh, in a bar or they'll be in a crowd and I'll be like are is that ever going to be allowed again? You know that type of thing. Or it's like I'll look back to things and I we'll, we'll talk about it. I'll have a memory of like the 80s or 90s and I'm like, "Man, if I could go back in time, like what the heck is going on?" And so I have my moments, but then I go back to the fact of, "Okay, I had my pity party. Great. Fun time. What can I do?" What can I do about anything? And I focus on those things I can do, on those things I can accomplish, on what I can create. If I don't like my situation, create a new one. That, that is literally our only choice. And, you know, our daughter's 14 and she's going through some things. I mean, it's a, it's a, us as adults, this is a weird time. It's like, I, I was like, if my dad was alive, he'd be like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> You know, so when you think of kids and what they're going through, it, it is so weird. And so the only thing you can do is focus, you know, turn off the news, define where you want to go and focus on getting there and tune out the noise as best you can. You know, I let myself a little, we, we don't allow the news here. I turned on the news. I got obsessed with it the weekend when the, of the riots, right? Because they were five miles from our house. And I'm like, okay, well, I support the first amendment. Uh, but I also support the second amendment. You know? right, and, right. and, and so, but I had to, on Monday, I woke up in a bad mood, a scarcity mindset. And I had to turn off the news, turn off the news. You're still going to know what's going on. Trust me. If you're a parent, you got to take care of your family. If you're a business owner, you got to take care of your clients. You got to build it. You got to focus on it. And there's no reason you can't on what's going on now, because this is the weirdest thing to me, in my opinion, that's happened in our lifetime it's not the weirdest thing that's happened in the last half century. It's not the weirdest thing that's happened in life. I mean, we had Spanish food, we had pandemic. Imagine if you lived in London during the blitz. Oh yeah. They went through there's people in the world right now who've been going through worse than this for the last 10 years. So realize that and say, all right, you know what? Life's actually pretty awesome. What can make it more awesome? Ask yourself those two questions every morning sets you up for an abundance mindset. And you, you go from there and don't let that, the noise and the negativity and the the hate and the anger and people who want to sell ads try to get you more angry and watch your Fox News and MSNBC and outsource your mindset to Rachel or Sean or whoever it is. And I know people who do that. And you know what? It's not just that they're angry. Their health is suffering right now as well. Oh, I believe it. And I think it was Paul Rosenberg who has become one of my favorite writers. He made a comment some time ago about, tell me what makes you angry and I'll tell you where you get your information. And I went, whoa. Oh, that's profound. But I think he's right. Now, change is tough. Even if you're a very flexible person and, and, you know, you have the happy-go-lucky spirit, oh, yeah, we'll just roll with the changes. It's always going to be a little bit difficult. Give me your take on when, when hard times, and I mean really hard times come, why is it that the people who focus on something other than themselves tend to be the ones that uh, that managed to deal with it. I'm, I'm, maybe I'm borrowing from Viktor Frankl here and, and you know, right. uh, his experience, but it seems like the people who are able to look outside of their own misery or their own discomfort. For some reason, they seem better equipped or better able to deal with, with changes, even unpleasant ones. Yeah. It, it, and it's because, you know, a lot of things we think about, if we think about it with our ego first, we think about how, how the world is against me. And then you think, well, you know what? Everyone's kind of 
suffering right now, right? That doesn't necessarily make it feel any better, but then you realize, okay, well, how can I go out and create something to help other people? And if I can create something to help other people, people might pay for that or not pay for that, depending on what you want to do, right? But, but, but when you focus on creating value, that's when you have influence. And when you create value and you have influence, that's when you can create a life of meaning. It's when you can create a business that's profitable, even in, you know, I, I'm, I read, uh, you know, uh, Napoleon Hill and, you know, millionaires were created during the Great Depression. And do you be do you want to be one of them, or do you be want to be one of the victims? And it's easy to become one of the victims. Change has been part of being a human. the The biggest challenge is often ourselves, but the programming that we have. You know, my wife and I are in the midst of we're selling our house, and my wife and I and my our four kids are going to travel. We're going to travel the country, maybe the world, depending on what happens when we open up, right? I mean, if we open up, we're definitely going to travel the world, but who knows what they're going to force us to do to travel. Um, but you know what the toughest thing to do to sell our house? It's our programming of, no, you're supposed to own a house. You're supposed to go into debt. You're supposed to do this. You're supposed to have this many credit cards. You're supposed to live in a house. You're supposed to, there's these expectations of us that society sets, that our parents set, that our teachers set. That programming, we're all programmed starting at age one. That program to make any change in your life is the most difficult thing to break out of. And it takes daily practice, daily affirmations, and realizing that when you look at the world as more of a blank canvas and you realize, listen, I can put myself on a different timeline. Every decision you make starting now is going to affect what your life is like tomorrow. And by the way, if you choose to make no decisions because you're so afraid, hmm. that's a decision oh, yeah. in and of itself. And so when you look at it that way, it's like, okay, well, wonderful. And that's not just rah-rah stuff. It, 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 if I choose to wear, go naked and walk through the, <laughs> the city and get arrested, guess what? I chose that timeline, right? Um, so weird, weird example, I know. but <laughs> No, I, I get the point. It's... I guess the the thing that I have discovered is uh, looking back, and I'm a guy who was very resistant to change. I played it safe for so long, I'm actually a little bit ashamed of how safe I played it. But every truly good thing that ever happened in my life usually showed up disguised as a setback or some kind of a challenge. It never came, you know, with a bow and a ribbon on it. And, oh, yes, everything is going to be smooth sailing from here. There was some kind of effort involved. There was some kind of discomfort involved. And it was only after going through that, moving forward through it, that I went, hey, I am way better off than I was if I'd have stayed back there. Funny how that works. Yeah, the subtitle of my book is Escape, How to Escape Your Comfort Zone of Misery. And <laughs> Henry David Thoreau called it a life of quiet desperation. He said the, the mass of men lives lives. And quiet desperation can be more dangerous than loud desperation. Because when the desperation gets loud, you get backed into a corner and you want to fight your way out. And often you do, but that quiet desperation, that's why I call it a com comfort zone of misery. It's just comfortable enough, maybe because it's safe, it's safety, but it's not freedom. And you stay in it. You can stay in it for a long time. It's a steady drumbeat of, of, of getting jabbed, but it's not a knockout. Right. And, and usually if it gets so bad, like it did for me, I was forced to change. You know, or sometimes you get forced to, to do something worse than that. But that comfort zone of misery, you can stay in for 30 years, 40 years, and at the end of it say, why? Why didn't I do this? Why didn't I do that? Instead of saying, you know what? I'm ripping off the Band-Aid. I'm going to make a change now. 
Kurt, I want to steer my listeners towards your website. Where can they find you? Yeah, my personal website is kurtmercadante.com. But I tell you what, if you text, if you take out your cell phone and you text five pillars, so the, the number five pillars to the number five, five, six, seven, eight, there's some goodies there. You can figure out how to get my book uh, and even get in touch with me that way. Uh, it's easier than spelling Kurt Mercadante. Uh, <laughs> or if you if you go to mercmerc.enterprises, that's my company website. Okay. I feel recharged from having had this conversation. I thank you so much for being my guest today. Brian, it's been an honor and a privilege to be on the show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Would you like to join the conversation? Okay, I'd like to make that possible. Let's open up those phones, 801-331-8113. Again, 801-331-8113. Want to send a shout-out to my friends at the Staples-Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage. Right now is a great time to uh, to refinance. It's a great time if you're looking to get a home loan. I know uh, that there's a lot of economic uncertainty, but as you heard my guest in the last segment and the last two segments talk about, um, sometimes that uncertainty actually works in favor of those who are prepared or who are in a position to take advantage of it. I don't know if you remember the remember the housing crash back in 2008, and suddenly you know home prices seemed to plummet. And let's just say those who were in a position to buy at that time. They had a lot to choose from, and they had some really decent, in fact, some case, fire sale prices. Well, when it comes to getting your financing, talk to my friend John Staples and his amazing wife, Heather. The Staples-Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage, their website is staplesmortgage.com. It's that simple. Staplesmortgage.com. Tell them, hey, I'm calling you because Brian talked about you and said you guys are the best. And they really are. All right, let's go to the phone. Hello there, and welcome to the show. I was just listening to your show, and, you know, that guy, your guest, I, I, you know, I love all the thoughts he had and stuff, but, you know, at a certain point, we're going to have to engage. You can't, you know, you, you're going to have to be able to control what happens to you in our country. I mean... I thought I thought he actually made a pretty good case for doing that, but uh, maybe maybe it doesn't involve you know trying to seize the levers of power so much as just I'm going to go this my own direction and uh, wish you guys the best you know as far as you know the politicos. Well, I, I, that's a great idea and stuff, but I mean it's just you know if you're thinking like back in the day, there was a certain handful of people that said no, we're not going to be you know. I have a thumb put down on us and crush us in tyranny. Mm-hmm. And and that's what's happening. It's happening right now before our eyes in this country. And you're going to have to start worrying about what's going on, in my opinion. I mean, I, I wish it was that easy where you could just walk away and it would go away. But I, I think it actually is, though. And, and I, I mean that in the sense that, look, politics will take an interest in you. People are going to try to force their policies or force their their beliefs or their programs on you but you still have the option of withdrawing your consent 
And rather than going out and fighting them head on, you know, in the streets, uh, I think that there's a lot to be said for why don't you just build something parallel that makes them obsolete. The homeschool community, I think, is a perfect example of this. Rather than going and trying to seize the powers, of, the levers of power, rather, you know, from the, the education bureaucrats, homeschoolers set up and started making their own system, which, while it left the one system intact, was parallel and still offered a very solid alternative to those who didn't want to go through government schooling. No, I agree with that, but, I mean, the homeschoolers are still obligated in paying property taxes that which is funding the government schooling. Yeah, so yeah still you, it's true. They're still participating, and, you know, they're still bound to it. Well, whether, okay, they're, they're, still, they're still subjected to, this, to the extractive industry of taxation you know, via government, but the ones who have taken their kids out, I mean, come on, you can't tell me that they're not doing something of substance to, to save no, those young I, minds. I, I'm, not, I'm not putting them down. No, I think it's a great thing. I... I I, I totally agree. You know, you, I think that's a good – the way I would like to see it is that, okay, if you're going to take your kid and go to schooling and you're going to take over that responsibility, then you should be exempt from your property taxes into the school system. Yeah, that's, I, that's I agree. I, I think it's double-dipping on the part of government to continue to tax them in that way. But, you know, it's you got to start somewhere. I Look, I want to be free as much as the next guy, but I also have to concede in our world today – I don't know of any place you can go where you can have absolute freedom. So if no. if the perfect is going to be the enemy of the good, um, you know, it's going to prevent a lot of people from ever trying to be free. I'll take what I can and work on taking more as I'm able, but uh, but it has to start somewhere. But like a great example is tax bill was going to ram down our throats in the special session. People right. engage. And there is things that can be done when the people engage. Oh, without and, and a doubt. That, so we've got it. We've got it. And, and I think we're in the fight for our lives here. And I think this is going to continually go on for decades to come. I don't think even after Trump's, if he gets reelected and four years goes by again, we are going to have to fight these people again, not to waste four more years of our time and our efforts and our money. And, and we've got to engage now. I'm telling you, it's sad, but true. It's it's. I, frustrated by it. Anyway, thank you for okay. letting me vent here. Rob, thanks for calling. Always good to hear from you. 801-331-8113. I think Rob is right. I think we do have to engage, but I'm kind of an odd duck in the sense that engaging politically is only one strategy. And and while I'm certainly not telling you, hey, don't vote, and but although I would respect people who say my vote does nothing but lend legitimacy to a system that's trying to imprison me or that's trying to, to fleece me. I can understand those who withhold their consent because they don't want to give legitimacy to a system that they feel doesn't serve their interests. But when it comes to engaging, I just I, you hear me talk about this often, but remember, there, is, there are more institutions in which we can exert influence in society than simply government. We're kind of trained to see government as the default. Oh, well, this is where we have to go. And, you know, every election season that comes up, you know, there's millions or billions of dollars spent trying to convince us, hey, back this candidate, back this person. They'll do these policies. What about things like family? What about community, academia, clergy, business, media? I know that that last one could be kind of a sore spot even for me, but... Those are six different institutions, none of which have force at their disposal to affect change in our lives. And if I understand correctly, 
a healthy society would have all of those institutions, including the institution of government, operating in some degree of harmony, not being overpowered or overwhelmed by one or the other. That's how a healthy society would work. Now, you look around us and you probably don't get the impression that we're such a healthy society right now. Because government uh, tends to be the primary problem solver. I guess what I'm suggesting is if you want to make your impact, you want to you want to engage. There are things outside of politics where you can engage and you can make just as real a difference in the world as possible. The thing that's hard to accept, and I struggled with this myself, is the idea that it's done on a smaller scale. It's still real. You so much as say a kind word to somebody who's having a really bad day. You've made a difference in the world. It may seem like a small simple thing but it still matters to that person we get trained though into thinking in terms of mass movements well if we can only get everybody on board with this at once it's not going to happen i mean even with all the brainwashing and the uh, you know manipulation and propaganda that have been directed at the public for generations you still don't have everybody on the same page the good news is you can make those differences. You can make the, the kind of impact that, that has a positive difference outside of politics. And it could be something as simple as planting and growing your own garden. It could be learning a skill that you can then use to barter for things that you need. Case in point, I know some people who are beekeepers. And when it's time to harvest the honey, I think they do it twice a year. They go out and they trade that honey for things that they absolutely need. Now, some people may chafe a little bit at what I'm about to say, but I'm pretty sure they don't notify the IRS. Okay, so I traded this much in value of of honey, and here's the tax dollars that I would have paid had that been done in cash. No, they go out there and they just voluntarily contract with other people to meet one another's needs, and I think that is a perfectly viable way of impacting the world for the better. With apologies to the IRS for what they didn't get their greedy little hands on. All right, we're going to take a break here in a moment. When we come back, I want to spend a little bit of time uh, sharing with you the story of King Canute. I've given this a couple of times. I was happy to see that Jeffrey Tucker has written a great article about King Canute and the virus tide. Right now, we have a lot of people in different positions of power, some elected, some appointed, but they have this sense of authority, and they really want to, to make everyone around them believe we can make a difference. We can make the difference. We have the power to rein this virus in. Well, I've got a good, complete accounting of the King Canute story. If you haven't heard it, stick around. We'll share that with you. And it's such a powerful illustration that real leadership, authentic leadership, has to include some modicum of humility. We'll also talk about how the news makes you dumb. That's for anybody who's finding themselves, you know, hanging on a little too tightly to what's happening in the latest news cycle. All right. This is The Brian Hyde Show. It's brought to you by my friends at firesteel.com. If you haven't been to their website yet, go to firesteel.com. It's really that simple. Check out some of the videos about using their spark makers, their flint and steel spark units. They're affordable. They work. And best of all, they'll give you a discount at checkout. If you decide to purchase one or two or more, just put in my name, Brian, with a Y, and they'll knock off a little off the price. This is The Brian Hyde Show.
This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, once again, welcome back to the show. You can always check out my show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. I put more articles and more, you know, annotations and just observations in there than I can possibly get to during the two hours that I'm actually doing the show. So I would encourage you, if you're looking for some stuff that's thought-provoking, and and sometimes it's uplifting, sometimes it's, you know, okay, this is helping me, you know, vent a little bit here. But uh, I try to share information that uh, that will empower, that will encourage, make you feel like your cup is a little fuller when you're done than, uh, than just simply leave you feeling depressed and hopeless. One of the things that I was very happy to come across today, this actually landed in my email inbox, is uh, an essay from Jeffrey A. Tucker titled King Canute and the Virus Tide. And he talks about a story that I've shared a few times on this program. 900 years ago, the English historian Henry of Huntington wrote down an older Anglo-Saxon story or myth of King Canute, who claimed the throne of England in 1016. Now, the story was of appalling arrogance. It resonated in this land where the idea of limited government and human rights was gradually being forged. King Canute insisted that his throne be taken to the edge of the ocean, where he thereupon commanded the tide not to rise. But rise it did. Lapping his feet and beginning to swallow the chair, the courtiers uh, rushed him back. The king thereby proclaimed the following, Let all men know how empty and worthless is the power of kings, for there is none worthy of the name but he whom heaven, earth, and sea obey by eternal laws. And King Canute hung up his crown and never wore it again. Now, Jeff Tucker says that is some political humility right there. As we all await day after day and perhaps in vain for governors and public health officials to issue apologies for their vicious and destructive lockdowns that have done nothing to control the virus tide, King Canute's example is an inspiration. That said, later historians demonstrated that the myth was to serve a slightly more profound purpose. In a slightly better interpretation, the king was fed up with being surrounded by flatterers and courtiers and, and, and people who imagined the throne's power to be greater than that of God's. The purpose of hauling the throne to the sea was to demonstrate to the court's hangers-on that they were wrong. There are certain things government cannot do, among which is command nature's elements, among which we could include a virus. And Jeff Tucker says thus were the king's actions extra humble from the beginning. He knew the sea would rise. He was teaching a lesson to his court, which he hoped would then spill out to the kingdom. There are limits to what government can achieve by issuing edicts. A government must bow to nature, and nature's God is the real masters of the universe. Respecting that which you cannot control is the beginning of wisdom, then and now, whether for kings, presidents, prime ministers, or public health officials. Now, Jeffrey Tucker says a virus is an individual matter. As the media used to say half a century ago, whenever a virus came along, if you get sick, see a doctor. If you're especially vulnerable to being taken down by a virus, isolate yourself. Above all, don't panic. Let society move forth in calm and normalcy. Let no man imagine himself capable of commanding the tide. And this was the way the New York Times reported on 1952, 1957, 1968, 2006. And then things began to change when we got to 2020, when deliberately creating public fear became a tactic for competing in the new age of 24-7 app-based news consumption. The result? Politicians across America and the world, fearing the consequences of telling the truth, 
dragged their thrones out to the edge of the water and started issuing commands. We couldn't watch while the briny sea touched their feet, but we do have access to astonishing amounts of data, and they do look a bit like low and high tide, none of which has anything to do with the mandates, closures, quarantines, travel restrictions, or crowd limits imposed by their powerful hands. And Tucker points out it's the same in country after country, state after state. No matter when they locked down or opened up, the virus eventually gets there, infects many people, takes down mostly the very elderly and sick, then immune systems incorporate the pathogen and the virus weakens to the point of being nearly a non-issue. Ebb and flow, like the tides, and the tides care nothing for the power of princes. He says, I doubt seriously that our arrogant rulers intended to teach the lesson that King Canute taught his subjects, but teach they have nonetheless. In 2006, the great epidemiologist Donald Henderson warned that if government pursued coercive measures to control a virus, the result would be a loss of confidence in government to manage the crisis. The subjects of King Canute learned the limits of state power, and Jeff Tucker says, uh, may we learn as well. Let all men know how empty and worthless is the power of kings, for there is none worthy of the name but he whom heaven, earth, and sea obey by eternal laws. That's powerful. I'll include that essay in the show notes. Again, you can check them out at thebrianhydeshow.com. You'll also find links to our sponsors there. And if you want to subscribe to the podcast, you can do that as well. One final thought here, and that is the news makes you dumb. This is a terrific article on intellectualtakeout.org. It's a fairly lengthy article, but worth your time. Alan Mendenhall is the author. And he starts out with this observation. A pernicious notion seems to have settled into the minds of my generation. He's 36 years old, for what it counts. When we were little boys and girls, he says, it's now an unquestioned fact that staying informed, staying engaged, and following the news are the obligatory duties of sensible, responsible people. But he says they're not. Reading and watching the news isn't just unhelpful or uninstructive. It inhibits real learning, true education, and the rigorous cultivation of serious intellectual curiosity. Now, I can't go into all the details here, but I'll hit hit some of the highlights for you. And hopefully this is something you can check out in your leisure time. Mr. Mendenhall points out that simply gathering information is not educational. And he talks about when he was a kid. He says, my parents quite rightly restricted my television viewing. I could not, for instance, watch television after 5 p.m. or for more than an hour on weekdays. Saturday morning cartoons ran for a permissible two hours before my parents arose from bed. The glaring exception to these rules was the news. Watching the evening news was, for his family, a ritual in information gathering, a necessary means of understanding current events, whatever else people said of it, The news was, by all accounts, educational. But he asks the question, was it, though? U.S. Supreme Court Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes famously refused to read the newspapers. In the theory of education in the United States, Albert J. Nock bemoaned the colossal, the unconscionable volume of garbage annually shot upon the public from the presses of the country, largely in the form of newspapers and periodicals. Now, his point was a societal emphasis on literacy was by and large ineffectual if the material that most people read was stupid and unserious. Does one actually learn by reading the cant and carping insolence of the noisy commentariat? 
That's a good point. And throughout the rest of this article, uh, Mr. Mendenhall goes on about the demise of of journalism, the dangers of the digital age, and how to seek wisdom and discernment over politics and personal preference. In fact, I like his analogy here. He says, if we wish to consume the news, we should treat it like junk food. The human body cannot healthily sustain itself on candy bars alone. It requires a balanced diet, nutrition, and exercise. And so it is with the mind. Fed only junk? It's malnourished. Every now and then we may indulge the vice of chocolate or soda without impairing our overall long-term health. But, he says, likewise, we can watch without permanent or severe detriment the screeching cacophonies of semi-literate blatherskites like Sean Hannity, Wolf Blitzer, Chris Wallace, Anderson Cooper, Tucker Carlson, Jake Tapper, or heaven help us, the worst of the worst, Chris Cuomo. Dang. He says, just know that during the hour spent watching these prattling performers present tendentious interpretations of fresh facts, militantly employing tedious details to service ideological narratives, you could have read an informative book that placed the applicable subject matter into illuminating historical and philosophical context. The facts may be simple and quick. But interpreting them requires knowledge of the past, including the complexities and contingencies of the relevant religious movements, geographies, anthropologies, governments, literatures, and cultures. Devouring ephemeral media segments and sound bites in rapid succession is not learning. It is a gluttonous distraction. Wow. Now, he says, don't mistake what I'm saying. I'm not advocating a Luddite lifestyle or withdrawal from society in the workaday world. He says, I just mean that too many of us, too much of the time, are enthralled by fleeting media trifles, trifles rather, and trivialities and ensnared in the trap of mindless entertainment disguised as a vigorous education. I think he's right, by the way. Paul Rosenberg used to refer to it as the great ephemera machine. Ephemera being all the little details that really don't amount to anything. But they fill our hours. You may call them clickbait. They're the things that are lurking on the borders of every article you read online. Hey, click on this. This looks juicy. I guess the point is we could all use our time a little more wisely. So let's rise to that challenge. What do you think? This is The Brian Hyde Show.